0: Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing.
1: One of the lingering effects of the pandemic, evidently, is that there's a lot of help wanted signs in all the businesses I'm approaching. I see several if I'm out and about on the storefronts and restaurants. Um, But there are jobs available. Um, Let me read a few I came across here. Um, Worm dung farmer, bat guano collector, roadkill collector, sewer inspector, and owl vomit collector. Those are all called dirty jobs, made popular by Mike Rowe on his well-known TV show called Dirty Jobs, where he did the things nobody else was willing to do. Look into them. Just was talking to the guys earlier about jobs. We're going to talk today about God who took a dirty job. Who left the glory of heaven to come down to earth and do something no, none of us would ever have wanted to do in our own selfish natures. But he gave up a lot to give us everything. And he became like us so that we could become like Him. And He came to us so that He could take us back to Himself for all of eternity. He bridged the two great gulfs that we see. The gulf of eternal death that we face, He conquered that. And then the gulf of godliness that we all strive for in this life, He also gave us assistance with that by what He did. I don't think we can fully comprehend the mighty gulf that God did span. I love that word in the hymn, the old hymn at Calvary. Oh the mighty gulf that God did span. That great gulf between us and him, a holy God and an unholy creation that has rebelled against him. It must have been a great scandal in heaven the day that the angels heard that God was going to to send his son who had been with him for all of eternity in glory, to send his son to this decrepit planet. Not created that way, but become that way. Must have been a scandal in heaven. In fact, Peter tells us that the angels wondered what God was doing. They tried to ponder the situation. And it's hard for us to imagine what God did when he stepped down to be a human. Because you know what? We're content to be humans, right? Right? We were born that way. We feel we know nothing else. But let me tell you something. A skunk is content to be a skunk. And a toad is content to be a toad. You know why? Because they don't know any better. They know nothing else. They don't know what it's like to eat lobster. Or crab. Or pizza. But God knew what it was like to be in glory and eternity in a spotless and holy heaven. And yet, he took on the dirty job of becoming like us, human beings. But even more than that, this passage will tell us. See, what Philippians, uh, the author of Philippians, Paul, the apostle, is trying to do as he writes to them from prison, is try to shape their thinking, because there was some stinking thinking going on in this church of Philippi. There were some squabbles going on, we know, from chapter 4, two women who were arguing, and he tells them uh, to... to uh, to to come to an agreement. In fact, there's a lot in the book about the way we think. When we think of the book of Philippians, we often think of the word joy and the theme of joy, and it's certainly there, but joy is just an attitude, right? And so the book of Philippians uses that word think and know and and talks about the mind quite a bit. You'll see it as a common theme throughout the book. He wants us to know some things and to think some things. There's a real emphasis on the mind and our attitude. And just to touch the context of before we get into verse five in verses one through four, he's telling the Philippians things like be like minded after he gives them all these reasons of the blessings and the things that they have in common as he's striving for their unity, he tells them to be like minded. He tells them to be of one mind, to have lowliness of mind in verse three. And what does that look like, and how do we get that? Well, we put the interests of others first. We esteem them better than ourselves. And so we have to have the attitude of um, of agreement, of unity. Now, how do we get there? We don't unify around uh, 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 arbitrary things, do we? We unify around something that's concrete, solid, and objective. We unify around the truth. And now he's going to explain that truth that should bring us all to one mind in Christ Jesus, and that is to have his mind, well, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Well, he starts out in verse 5 by saying, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is not something that happens automatically, even for his Christian audience. This is something that has to be sought after, desired, is to have, let this mind be in you. Don't resist it, absorb it. Here's what what it looks like he's going to tell us. And this is the way I want you to think and I want you to have that attitude. Basically, it's an attitude of humility. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? To have the same attitude, the same mentality as Jesus Christ. You see, sin has dug its ruts deep into our mind. Sin manifesting itself as selfishness and pride. And those Ruts do not heal quickly, or, nor do they get filled quickly. We have to take on the mind of Christ to overcome our sinful tendencies, our prideful and selfish leanings. Well, what does it mean then to have the mind of Christ? Well, first of all, what we see in the passage is selflessness. Selflessness. In other words, he did not exploit his rights as God. He was equal with God. here's what the passage says in verse six, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That word, the form of God doesn't mean he just kind of looked like God or appeared like God. It, it means that he was one in essence in his essential being with God. Everything that makes somebody what they are, that's what Jesus was to God and is to God. He was exactly in the essence of god himself and then it goes on he did not consider it robbery to be equal with god the word equal there is a word we get uh it, you'll see it in the word isosceles like an isosceles triangle but it means isos means equal equal an isosceles triangle is two equal sides he was equal with god he was god the son he is god the son but look at the phrase he did not consider it robbery now this is a troublesome phrase and uh, has a number of different interpretations. In fact, your Bible probably says something different if you're not using the New King James Version. The New King James Version says, did not consider it robbery. I think the NIV says something like, uh, did not consider it something to be grasped, a treasure to be clutched, some versions. Something to be held on to. What's he talking about here? That though Jesus was in essence, everything that God is, he had all the privileges and all the glory and all the heaven and all uh, holiness and all the the resources of heaven, he did not hold on to that and use it for his advantage. How contrary to the human mindset that is when we are given privileges, when we are given glory. Think about Lucifer. Lucifer in heaven was created as the shining light. God's right hand angel, so to speak. He had all the privileges of being by the side of God and created chief among creation. Did he use those privileges to serve God? No. Read Isaiah 14. Five times, I will be like the Most High. I will, I will, I will. Showing the essence of sin and pride. He couldn't handle his privileges. Well, how about Adam? Our great, 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 dot, dot, dot. Father, created and given the earth as his kingdom and his domain. Adam, it's all yours, all yours. Just do one thing. You have all these privileges, but Adam chose to do the wrong thing. And it plunged us into sin and into death. Adam himself could not handle the privileges. When Satan whispered in his ear, you'll be like God. He couldn't pass it up. Somebody has said rightfully, I think, that the way to tell the character of a person is not to give them the responsibilities, but to give them privileges. If you really want to know what someone is like, give them privileges. I've been a bit overwhelmed by some of the news I'm hearing from the Christian world these days, very recently, about well-known preachers who have succumbed to sexual immorality, or financial greediness. This week, on mainstream media, there was an interview with a preacher of a big, big, big church. One of his main preachers was let go. And they were talking about his lifestyle. He would drive up in a chauffeur-driven vehicle. He would get out. He would sit, wait in the green room, and then he'd go in and preach, and he'd go back. He never mingled with the people, never talked to the people, kept his distance from the people, fell into immorality. I read about a preacher in the north of the Metroplex. He has a salary of $1 million. Uh, That's not what the story was about, though. (laughs) I'm just envious. That's not what what the story was about. The story was about somebody in the finance department, a woman who was pilfering money for the last dozen years, and she has taken $1.3 million. Isn't it good to be a small church?
0: Nobody can ever take a $1 million from us. Not yet.
1: We can't handle privilege. We exploit the advantages that we have. It says here that Jesus did not hang on to, grasp, clutch, or use to His advantage, exploit the privileges that He had as God the Son. And so if we want to have the mind of Christ we must let go of our rights for the sake of others. Everybody's talking about rights these days, you know, animal rights, uh, civil rights, uh, racial rights. I've heard people on TV recently say, we ha- everybody has the right to eat. Everybody has the right uh, for medical care. I mean, rights, rights, rights. Everybody's concerned about their rights. but what Jesus is concerned about is giving up what was rightfully his. We see it in the life of the Apostle Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when he said, I've become all things to all men. To the free I've become free, and to uh, those under law I've become like those under the law. He doesn't say he's compromising his theology. He's just saying he's adopted a, a lifestyle and given up certain things so that he could, he could live and, and minister to the Gentile people. So if the Gentile people did certain things then he would do certain things, Beyond the, uh, Up until the point of violating Scripture in his conscience, of course. And the same thing when he went back and ministered to the Jews, he would do things that would accommodate his message to the Jews without changing his message. But culturally, he could live with taking a vow. He could live with take, probably celebrating some of the feasts. There were certain things that he was able to do. He surrendered his rights for financial gain at Corinth. He worked for three years, he says without compensation. No million dollar salary, Paul. Sorry. So we must let go of our rights if we're going to have the mind of Christ. Do you have a right to be angry at that person that cheated you? Yeah, you do. There's such thing as a righteous anger. What, are you going to get so angry that you cannot be a witness to that person? I recently helped someone purchase a car. Someone in my family, purchased a car, and you know, I've negotiated all over the world hundreds of times, and uh, so I kind of know how to negotiate, and I've learned that you really don't have a good deal going until the guy gets mad at you, until the salesman gets mad at you. That's the way it is. If they're not getting mad at you, you're not getting to their bottom line. So I kind of pushed this salesman, pushed him, pushed him, pushed him, but my question in the back of my mind is, can I witness to this guy afterwards? How far can I push him and still... Witnessed him about Christ. Well, thankfully, we got the deal done Talk only six hours in the dealership. I hate it. It takes that much time if you're going to get a deal.
0: But at the end of that, we shared the
1: gospel with him. Left him a booklet. He thought he was good enough because he was praying and so forth. Anyway, that's another story, but Are we willing to give up our rights? Somebody owes you money for the sake of a friendship, for the sake of your witness, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to forgive that debt? Had to do that before in my life. I saw it was getting in the way of our fellowship, a good friend. I just wrote him a letter and said, forget about it. To have the mind of Christ, we must let go of our rights for the sake of others. The second thing we see comes out in verse 7. We see. Christ's service. He took the role of a slave. And this is what the text says. He made himself, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Wow, there's so much here. In fact, there's so much here. When it says he made himself of no reputation, literally, he emptied himself. And the question has always been, what did he empty himself of? And there are actually about seven different interpretations here about what Paul is speaking of. Uh, But without going through all of that, let me just say he did not empty himself of his deity. He didn't leave his deity in heaven. Jesus is God. He always was God. When he was on earth, he said that he was God, and they stoned him for that. He did not leave all of his attributes. He could have displayed all of his attributes, but he voluntarily, this is what it means, he voluntarily set aside, unveiled his glory of God and set aside voluntarily some of his attributes. He didn't use all of his attributes when he was with us, but he limited himself. That's what I think it means when it says he made himself of no reputation or he emptied himself. He was willing to give up Some of the privileges he had as God Himself for our sakes. Not only that, not only did He become a man and and lay aside the privileges of deity and power, but He took the form of a bondservant, a doulos, a slave, the word can mean. Not just a human, but a slave. Not just limited in power. But now, of the lowest social standing. Wow, it would have been enough to become a skunk. I mean, a a human. Much less a three-legged skunk or a slave.
0: But that's what Jesus did. He became a slave for our sakes.
1: The NIV says he made himself nothing. And so when he took the form of a servant, he went about and showed us exactly what a servant looks like. He healed people. He ministered to people. He preached to people. He taught them. He loved them. He was a good shepherd to them. He washed their feet. He got down on his knees and washed the feet of people.
0: He loved them and led them. He cast demons out of them.
1: And He offered them free salvation. Mark 10.45 says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many, a payment for many. That's what a servant does. Takes care of the needs of others at any cost. And then it says, coming in the likeness of man. Not in the likeness that He looked like a man, but this actually means in Full humanity, the full appearance of a man, but he was fully human. You know, we have to say that because there were some uh, sects and cults and even are today that believe that Jesus was just a spirit, really, not a human, or believe that he was a regular man and the spirit came upon him or something at his baptism or some other time. That's not what the scripture teaches us. It teaches us that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, mighty God, everlasting Father. He was born in full human flesh. He suffered weaknesses. He suffered thirst. He hungered. He wept with us as a human being. He suffered temptations with us as a human being. If Jesus had a driver's license, you would see a picture. You would see a height. You would see a weight. And it would be his actual weight.
0: He was 98.6
1: if you took his his, uh, temperature. 1 John 4. Three, says, whoever denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is an antichrist. So you see, the humanity of Jesus Christ is very important. When it says he came in the likeness of man, it didn't mean, it doesn't mean he just looked like a man. He was fully human, 100% God, 100% man. And as that, he served people by meeting their needs. And if we're going to have the mind of Christ, then we must take up the role of servant to others and meet the needs that we see around us. When people need spiritual nourishment, we nourish them spiritually. When people have emotional needs, we try to meet those needs. Someone's lonely, we try to be a friend. Someone's hungry or thirsty, we try to feed them. Or They need clothes, we clothe them. Whatever the need is that we see. Body, mind, soul, spirit, whatever it is. What a servant does is meet the needs of others. They get down on their knees and do the hard and dirty work. Some of us who have had to care for elderly parents heard many stories about this and experienced it ourselves in the last few years found out what it is like to be a parent all over again when we returned to our parents the kind of service that they had given to us all of our lives. What a privilege it was to do. Dirty work, but a privilege to take care of them in that way. We have good friends uh, in another church And this lady was telling us a story. She said she went to visit an elderly friend who was in poor health and in a wheelchair. And uh, this lady, as they talked, said, you know, I've not been able to reach my toenails. I I can't clip my toenails. And my my friend says, you know, I I don't do feet. I don't like feet. I hate feet. But God was saying, you need to clip her toenails. (laughs) She got down on her knees like the posture of a servant and clipped her toenails
0: because that's what servants do.
1: That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. And then in verse 8, it also means that we sacrifice. We sacrifice in obedience to God. Whatever needs to be sacrificed, it says in verse 8 that he humbled himself to death. Oh, we just keep getting lower and lower. No longer are we a skunk or a three-legged skunk. Now we're a dead skunk. Jesus not only became a man, not only became the lowest man, a slave, but now he's going to become voluntarily a slave who will die. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. So he humbled himself voluntarily by becoming obedient to death. He was obeying the father's will because you remember. Well, let's just read it. it says that he found being found in appearance. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But you remember the night before he was crucified, how he prayed to God and said, not my will, but thy will be done. He was totally willing to sacrifice himself. For us. Not for the angels, not for any other reason, but for you
0: and for me. He
1: was why did he, why did he agonize so greatly in the garden? You know, many, many Christians have gone to their death singing praises and with smiles on their faces and uh, welcoming the opportunity to go to heaven. But Jesus agonized. You know why? Because he had left the Father, but he had never been separated from the Father. But on the cross, because of our sins, he was going to have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God was going to have to turn his back on his own son. That's never happened in all of eternity. But he did that for us. He humbled himself to death. But guess what? Not just death. It's death on a cross. Couldn't get any lower, you thought. You know that crucifixion was the lowest form of death in that culture at that time? Physically, it was the most cruel and painful way to die. Not only were you flogged and starved before you were crucified, before they drove the nails into the flesh, but as you were exposed there in the sun and elements for two or three days until you finally couldn't breathe because your weight was sagging so much, it took the breath out of your lungs and you finally just suffocated slowly. For all the world to see, it was a physically cruelest form of death. Socially, it was a a stigmatized form of death because you just didn't talk about somebody that was crucified. You don't say, oh, my father got an electric chair. We don't say that in polite society. And in polite society, you didn't talk about the cross because it was reserved for the lowest of criminals, reserved for enemies of the government. Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. And yet Jesus faced all of that for us. But you know what might have been the worst? Is that it had a religious curse attached to it because Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And so, for everyone who was Jewish and knew the scriptures, there was this Jesus who claimed to be their king and the Messiah, and he's really looking like a cursed man at this point. No wonder the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. Us worship a cursed man that God is cursing? No wonder he's a stumbling block to the Romans who understood power and victory. You call that victory? This guy's totally defeated. He was a stumbling block to the Greeks, Paul tells us, who believed in esoteric theology and clever thinking and philosophies. What's this got to do with philosophy at all? A dead man. And so the scandal of heaven becomes a stumbling block to many on earth. So he was obedient even to death. You know what this, what this looks like? Look at Jesus' steps to humili- humiliation. From the glory of God down to condescend to be just a human being. Not just that, but to be a slave. Not just that, but to be a dead slave. Not just that, but to be a slave that was hung on a cross the totally disgraceful, despicable way, most despicable way a person could die. He could not have sunk
0: lower than he did for us.
1: So if we're going to have the mind of Christ, how low are you willing to sink for someone else? What are you willing to give up in order to obey God's will? What sacrifice are you willing to make? Are you willing to pick up your family, two little children, and go to the jungles of some country where you don't know anybody and you can't speak the language? And you could get infected by diseases that you can't even pronounce? That's why we need to pray for them. They're sacrificing a lot, leaving their grandparents, their parents, their family, their church behind. I was, uh, at one time, would visit a nursing home and read scriptures to an elderly lady there. I forget exactly how I knew her at this point, but I would go in once a week and read scriptures to her. And I would notice this woman was always there at lunchtime uh, feeding. I'd go at lunchtime my break and she was always there feeding the other residents in the nursing home by hand, the ones who could not eat. And I got in a conversation with her one day, and I said, uh, talked about her, something about, you know, how long you've been working here. Oh, I don't work here. Oh, you don't? No, I just volunteer. I come in and feed them. You You come in and feed them lunch? How often do you do that? Every day. You feed them lunch every day? No, I feed them breakfast and dinner, too. I couldn't believe it. She sacrificed her day to come in and feed those who could not feed themselves. That's a sacrifice, my friends. To have the mind of Christ, we obey God in where He leads us and what He tells us to do at whatever cost it takes. And you know what? God rewarded Jesus for His humility. The Scriptures say, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, because of how low He sunk, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Christ is exalted. Given him a name, not just the name Jesus. Jesus is Savior. It's a good name, but there's humans who have that name. But when he says exalted him and given him a name, he's talking about giving him a reputation that is above every reputation. That's what name stands for in the Scriptures. Above every name. I think what's implied here is that because God rewarded Jesus, He will also reward us when we have the mind of Christ. In fact, we are promised a new name if we obediently live for Him in the book of Revelation. And then He will be worshiped, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will be worshipped. And when the Apostle Paul says, every knee shall bow, will that be voluntary or involuntary? That's some, of, that's some of the discussion that goes around this passage. I think it will be involuntary because I don't think, when somebody shines a bright light in your face, what do you do? You cover it up. When you stand in the, in the presence of Jesus Christ, whether you're in heaven or in hell, your knees crumble before him, whether you want to or not. Some will want to, some may not, but they will bow before him. And they will confess or acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he is. He is Lord. For some, it will be too late. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, it's simply saying everywhere. Everybody, everywhere will bow before the Lord and confess or acknowledge that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. How does somebody confess Jesus Christ as Lord in hell to the glory of God the Father? Because they're admitting that God is right and God is truth and that God loved them and that God sent the Savior for them. It's just too late for them to be saved. I think the implication here is that when you and I learn to have the mind of Christ and live a sacrificial life like he, we also could receive a reward. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. There are rewards in this life and there are rewards in the next life. He will confess us before the Father is one of the rewards. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant, is one of the rewards. God will reward us for our humility when we take on the mind of Christ. So, what did Jesus give up for you and for me? I like the way 2 Corinthians 8-9 puts it. For you know the grace. What's grace? Free gift of God. Everything we don't deserve for anything that we need. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor that you through His poverty might become rich. The richest man in the universe. To help the poorest creatures in the universe. And he gave up those riches and laid them aside for us. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to grasp with our minds the gap that God did span. We don't think it's so bad to be a human. But if you're in the presence of God, you're going to look back at this time and ugh. how could he step from majesty to manure? That might just be the way we think of this sinful world at that time. For God to become a man and to suffer as he did is like the sunlight becoming a light bulb or the ocean becoming a puddle or the mountains becoming a pile of gravel in your driveway. There's hardly a comparison. For those who neglect to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, They will one day, wherever they are, in their future. We will do it gladly as his believers
0: and followers. But it gives us something to think
1: about. When we think with the mind of Christ, we have to be selfless. We have to think like a servant, act like a servant, and be willing to sacrifice. So this morning... Do you have the mind of Christ? What needs to be adjusted in your life so that you can have more of what He demonstrated for us with His death on the cross? Will you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord not only of the universe, but Lord of your life and surrender and be willing to tell Him, Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow, whatever you ask, I will give? He emptied Himself. Will you empty your wallet? He emptied himself. Will you empty your calendar for his sake? Will you lay aside some of your plans, some of your ambitions, or all of them for his sake? And if you're listening to this wherever you are, and you're not sure about where you're going to spend eternity, where you're going to bow the knee, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he did all of this, to purchase for us the free gift of eternal life. And if you just reach out with a simple, heartfelt prayer, it doesn't have to be verbal, doesn't have to be on your knees, but just in the quietness of your heart, say, Lord, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins and that he is alive today and offers me that gift of eternal life. And I'm asking you for that today. I'm believing you for that today and I want to thank you for that gift of eternal life and you can now live with him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ which our minds can barely fathom what he has done for us. The disgrace he bore for us, that all our sins were laid upon him and all of his righteousness was laid upon us through Jesus Christ when we have faith in him when we trust in him when we believe in him for that free gift of eternal life so we thank you for what he's done and I pray now that we might live up to that gift and show you our appreciation and how we can be servants to others give us the mind of Christ we ask in Jesus name amen
0: thank you for listening for more resources